Good morning, Grace Community Church. It is a great joy for uh, me and for our family to be here. It is a lot like coming uh, home to family. Uh, we love you guys and we miss you guys and we're thankful for our time at this church. It's one of the great highlights of spiritual growth for our family and we're going to miss you greatly when we move. Uh, this morning we'll be in Hebrews chapters 10 and 11. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. Hebrews chapters 10 and 11, the end of chapter 10 and the first several verses of chapter 11. So in order to uh, make sure we, we know the context of the verses we'll be looking at, I'll begin reading in verse 35, 10, chapter 10, verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Let me pray before I read the, the word. Heavenly Father, we come and ask for your help. You tell us that unless you build a house, in vain the builders strive. And we want to hear from you today. We want to hear the voice of our shepherd Christ. We want to hear what the Spirit says to the church. We ask that you would come and set your fire in our hearts as we hear your word. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For... Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen for by it the people of old received their commendation by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of god so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible this is the word of god as we begin to uh, think about these verses uh, let's consider the context of hebrews uh, 10 and 11 if you just uh, skim Chapter 10, maybe you have headings in your Bible, you'll realize that a lot of it has to do with apostasy. And really, the whole letter to the Hebrews is written to Christians in danger of apostasy. A large part of chapter 10 is about that very topic, about walking away from their profession of faith. If you look back to 10 verse 35, uh, the author says, Do not throw away your confidence. And again in verse 39, he says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. So that's the danger that these hearers are in. And the question I want, to think to, I want us to think about today is, what is it about a disciple's faith that makes the difference between these two groups? Right? Verse 39 says, those who shrink back and those who do not. Those who shrink back and those who have faith. What sets apart those who do not shrink back from those who, who do? What is it that helps a Christian believer 
run the race of faith to the end and not give up? There are many ways we can answer these questions, but the answer in our text is the word endurance. Endurance is what we need. Let me help you see how crucial this word is in these verses. If you look back at chapter 10, verse 35 and 36, immediately after he says, don't throw away your confidence, he says, you have need of endurance. That's what they need to make it to the end. Again, in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And many have made the argument, I think it's a very strong argument, that really everything between the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 12 is just a footnote explaining faith and endurance, illustrating, applying, explaining, exhorting uh, these Christians to endurance. Uh, do you see this in chapter 12? Verse 1 says, let us run with endurance. Verse 2 says, look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Again in 12 verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And again in 12 verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. This word endurance, the New Testament loves this word. It's used in, by almost every author in the New Testament. Paul loves it, uses it in almost every book. John loves it in Revelation. James loves it when he talks about persevering and living faith. It can also be translated as um, perseverance or patience. So endurance, persevering, or patience. And this hall of faith in chapter 11 can really be called the hall of endurance. Because when, it's, when, we say, when we call it the hall of faith, it's about enduring faith, lasting faith, persevering faith. Now, Christians don't always associate the word endurance with the Christian faith. I don't know how many of you drove past Endurance Baptist Church this morning on your way to church. I googled it and make sure none of you did. Uh, but it's not just the first word that, we, that comes up when we want to we advertise the, the blessings and what it means to be a Christian, right? Uh, I've never heard someone say, you know what, this church, we are all about endurance. You know, what we like to hear is more like, we're all about community, or we're all about doctrine, or we're all about a transforming experience for your life. And all of these can be good things uh, in their place, but let's not forget that an essential part of Christian faith is endurance or persevering in faith. Now, because this is a word that is more likely to be used to advertise CrossFit or some branch of the military, uh, I want to qualify what we're, as, we, as we go in, I want to clarify something. The author of Hebrews is not presenting endurance here as a drill sergeant to his boot camp recruits saying, you know what guys, most of you don't have what it takes to make it. That's not what the author of Hebrews is doing here. He's not trying to discourage them. In fact, he's trying to encourage them. Uh, it's not in presenting endurance as something you need to force out of yourself to try to make it to the end of the Christian life. We'll see that endurance is a blessing of the gospel available to every Christian. That's what, what we'll see in this text and what you can see clearly as you read these chapters. He's also not saying that endurance is a special kind of grace for super-Christians. 
There's regular Christians who walk with Christ and fall away and walk with Christ again. But then there's super Christians who make it to the end. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying endurance is a special kind of gift. It's just a, a part of Christian faith, of saving faith. The author of Hebrews is writing to them as a loving pastor, as a loving shepherd who wants them to make it to the end. And when he gets to the, the end of this uh, hall of faith, he points them to Christ. And he tells them the gift of endurance is available to everybody in the gospel. It's not a special uh, quality that you need to force out of yourself by your willpower. It's, it's a blessing of the gospel. So he, he calls them to not give up, to persevere, to endure, while also letting them, them know that this grace is available. And if you have Christ, you have everything you need to persevere. If you have Christ, you have everything you need to persevere. Now, that's the goal of chapter 11, and uh, I would argue that this whole section between 10, verse 35, to 12, uh, maybe into 12, verse, uh, verse 10 or 11. So this whole section is about endurance. That's the goal, encouraging them to make it to the end. And that's what we, what we want for ourselves, what we want for each other, what we want for our church. What we want for missionaries going overseas, that's what we want, right? We want to make it to the end. If we never see each other again and we meet in heaven, that's, that's our goal, right? If, if we never see each other again, we want to hear, as John says, that, that you're walking in the truth. And we want to know that we're, we, we want to meet in heaven and know that we made it across the finish line. So enduring faith is going to be the focus of what uh, we'll be looking at this morning, especially in chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Enduring faith. And I, and I think there's three things we can see in these three verses about enduring faith. Enduring faith in this text hopes with assurance in verse 1. Enduring faith grasps the unseen in verses 1 and 3, and enduring faith looks for the approval of God. Enduring faith hopes with assurance, grasps the unseen, and enduring faith looks for the approval of God. So look with me at verse 1, where the author says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Remember, he's not trying to write a dictionary definition of what faith is. He's not trying to write an encyclopedia entry to define faith. He's trying to, to define faith in the context of persevering. What is one characteristic of persevering faith? It hopes with assurance. And this is one thing I think we need to remember about the Christian faith. The Christian faith is a future-oriented faith. The Christian faith looks towards the future. When you think about the Christian walk, the Christian life, do you think about it as a sure hope about the future? Not just about here and now, but about the future. Christian faith sets its sight on Christ, and it looks for the eternal life we'll have in Him, eternal life that is ours today, it belongs to you today, but really the f to fully experience it, you're looking to a, a future day, a future point in time, this life will be truly realized for us 
only when Christ returns. Any of you who've been uh, engaged and then married here know what it's like to be in this season of engagement. Lizzie and I were engaged for about five months before we were married, and isn't the whole point of engagement that you're waiting for what comes next? The best part about engagement is what comes after. It's not about what you have now, but it what about, it's about what comes after. And this, that's how it is with a Christian life. In this age, the best part comes after. The best part comes after. It's not here and now. The best part comes after. Sure, there's many blessings here, and the New Testament teaches us about, about them, but the best part comes after. There are joys and blessings we taste here, but we're looking forward in sure and certain hope to the day when we taste them fully, when we experience them fully. And this is such an essential part of uh, Christian teaching that it's present in the earliest post-biblical summaries of the faith. If you look up the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, they both have sections at the end that talk about the future, about Jesus coming back and judging the living and the dead about new heavens, new earth, resurrected bodies, and life everlasting in Christ. The Christian faith looks to the future with assurance. It's a hope, a certain hope with assurance. And so when the world, when the unbelieving world tells us, grab all you can now because this is all you get, this is all there is, don't worry about your future, grab all you can now, enjoy it now, Find all the pleasure and all the self-satisfaction you can get now. Scripture says, no, there's something else. There's something better coming. That's what we're looking forward to, right? Blessings in Christ, resurrected bodies, free from sin. That's our future as Christians. Free from sin and temptation. God's glory manifested in our midst as a church beholding the face of God in Jesus Christ. The Christian faith looks to the, to the future, a hope, a certain hope with assurance. New heavens and new earth, all of these blessings are ours in Christ, and that's what we look forward to. And if you're here today, it's very important to ask yourself whether you have this hope. I'm not asking if you hold it perfectly without any doubt, but I'm asking, do you believe? Do you look forward to that day when you see Christ face to face? It's the most important question you can ever ask yourself. Is that what you're looking forward to? Elsewhere, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says that if you take out that future part out of the Christian teaching, we are of all people to be pitied. Our faith is in vain without that last day when everything is fulfilled, when everything sad comes untrue. At the end of the story, when you look back and you see the providence of God and the Holy Spirit at work through centuries, when you see trials and difficulties and suffering and you realize that's what this was all for, it's an essential part of Christian faith. So that's why the author here says, faith, persevering faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This is a hope offered to wretched sinners like us in the gospel. It's a blessing of trusting and turning from our sin and trusting in Christ. Now, where does this hope come from? 
We know from Hebrews and from other texts in the Bible that this faith comes from the word of God, from the promises of God. When the author here says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, it's not just a wonderful maybe hope, like I hope the economy recovers, I hope I get a good grade, I hope I get into, a, into the school that I want. It's not a wishful uh, thought. The object of this faith is Jesus Christ revealed in the scriptures. It, this hope comes from the Bible, from the Holy Scriptures. As the hymn says, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Faith and hope, they come from the promises of God. Imagine if you had a friend who took all of their savings and took a reverse mortgage on their house and invested all of it into something they knew nothing about. No guarantees, no promises. They're just like, I hope it works out. I hope none of you guys did this with cryptocurrency. But if, if you invested everything you had, or one of your friends invested everything they had and took out loans and invested it all into something they knew nothing about, and you ask them, what are you investing in? What are you betting on? And they say, I don't know. I hope it works out. We realize how foolish that is. But that's exactly what Scripture does, uh, what, what Scripture delivers us from, because in the Scripture we know exactly what we're trusting in. In the Scripture we meet Christ, who is the, the, the guarantee of these promises. That's why faith is the assurance. It's hope with assurance, with a guarantee. So when we think about faith and hope, we need to remember it's a hope anchored, guaranteed by Scripture. And here a question for each one of us is how vital do we consider the Word of God for our faith? Do we just bank our faith on an experience we had in the past or our upbringing or our baptism or anything like that? Anything other than the Word of God and the promises of God? Do you see the Word of God as vital for your faith? Do you realize that you cannot have this faith as the assurance of things hoped for if you're not rooted in the Word of God, in the Bible, how can you hope for things you do not know? How can you have hope if you don't know how and who guarantees these promises? If you don't even know the promise, you just hope it somehow works out. It's not, Christian faith is not just optimistic thinking about the future. It's a certain hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. If we're to hope with assurance, we should be rooted in the Word of God. And I'm, I'm happy to say that GCC, I know you to be a community that loves and studies the Word of God, loves the promises of God, and lives by them. And the encouragement, the encouragement here for us is to continue and persevere in that, to live in the Word. There's also an encouragement here for those of us who feel like our faith is weak, we, we hear faith hopes with assurance and we're like, my assurance is not where I want it to be. Again, look, look what chapter 11 ends. It says, look to Christ, an all-sufficient Savior. Look, look to Christ and to His Word. That's where chapter 11 leads us. And Hebrews 12:1 says, look to our captain, the founder, the giver of faith, our all-sufficient Savior. For any one of us struggling with assurance, He is more than able to strengthen you. 
He is more than able to give you this hope with assurance. He's done it for many people in this room over and over again. He's done it millions of times over thousands of years. He's a merciful Savior to weak sinners. In an uncertain world, for some of us, maybe the most uncertain it's ever been over the course of our lives, the certainty that Scripture and the Christ gives cannot be matched. We need a sure, a sure hope. There's one place to find it in Jesus Christ, freely offered to sinners in the gospel. Nothing the world can offer can ever compare. No guarantee the world can give you can ever compare. So that's the first thing we see about enduring or persevering faith. Faith that does not fall away hopes with assurance. Secondly, we see in verses 1 and 3 that enduring faith grasps the unseen. Enduring faith grasps the unseen. Look at the second part of verse 1. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. And again in verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith grasps the unseen. In other words, faith sees something others don't. You can see this in the example of these Hebrew Christians to whom this letter is addressed. If you go back to chapter 10, verse 35, actually verse 34, the author says, They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Why? Why would they give up things they can hold on to? Because they see something others don't. They grasp something that others cannot see. They have a hold on something of greater value than the things of this world. I read a story about a, an art critic a few years ago uh, who was flipping through a magazine and saw a picture of a painting. And the description of the painting said that it was painted by disciples of Rembrandt, the famous Dutch painter. Now this critic looks at the magazine, looks at the picture, and, and he thinks it's not the disciples that painted it, it was the, the painter himself. And he realizes this painting is worth 10 times, 100 times more than what people give it credit for. And so he sees something in this painting that nobody else can see. And then it took a year or two and they actually confirmed that this is actually painted by that painter. They were all looking at the same things, but his eyes saw something of much greater value, something that was invisible to everyone else. That's what Christian faith does. It sees the unseen. It grasps unseen things. You can also see this practically in the lives of our heroes of the faith in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. A flood that had never happened before. Nobody's seen that flood before. By faith, Noah believed in things unseen. Again in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them. He's not talking about physical sight. He's talking about faith as sight. Faith seeing things unseen. Having seen them and greeted them from afar. 
They saw these things by faith, not with physical eyes, but with the eyes of faith. On the pages of Scripture, over and over again, faith is contrasted with physical sight. Right? The Apostle Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. In Romans 8, he says, hope that is seen is not hope. If you can see it and touch it, that's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, that word patience is the same as endurance. We wait for it with patience. Scripture does not contrast faith with sight because faith is blind and sight can see. It's actually the other way around. That's the paradox of faith. Scripture contrasts faith with sight because if you go only by sight, you're blind to reality. You, you do not see the way things really are. And the Bible says that faith sees reality. Faith sees the way things really, truly are. Unbelief walks by sight and is blind. While faith sees things the way they truly are and grasps them. If you know even, even more about the book of Hebrews, you know the reason it's called Hebrews is because it's written to Jewish believers in danger of apostasy. And a particular temptation for them was going back to the old system of worship. Right? So they, they're believers. They got saved. They know Christ. They want to follow Christ. But then, because the temple is still there, there's a, there's a contrast there for them between going to the temple and, and worshiping with the church. And, and it becomes, a, uh, the Old Testament system of worship, though given by God, becomes a, in competition with the gospel and with Christ. So that's the, one of their temptations. And a large part of the book of Hebrews is about the supremacy of Christ over the Old Covenant system of worship. Christ is better. If you have to choose between the Old Covenant and Christ, you choose Christ. Christ is better. Now, what, what would be some reasons? Why would somebody be tempted to go back to that old system? A temple with sacrifices and, and the whole ceremonial system there. Why would they be tempted? One reason is because you can see what's happening. Right? You see the sacrifice. You see the priest go in. You see the ceremony. And you're like, okay, I'm good because I've seen it with my eyes. I saw the blood go in. I know I'm good with God now, right? Here you're talking about Jesus, they would say to the apostles, about some sanctuary in heaven that I can't see, about some forgiveness in heaven that I cannot feel. And, and here's what's offered to me is so immediate to my senses. It's right here in front of me. I can see it with my eyes. You, you see how this plays out in their life, right? You tell me about an inheritance somewhere else. Well, I, I just want the inheritance that's right here. You know, where's my plot of land in the Middle East? the competition between things unseen and the things that are seen. They could see the, the system of worship and all that it was connected to it. And the, the author of Hebrews says, no, faith must trust in the unseen. I, I suspect few of us are tempted today here to do the same thing they did, uh, to go back to a ceremonial system of worship. But if we examine ourselves carefully, and if we look around in the culture, in the Christian culture around us, it doesn't take a lot to find that there's always a temptation to make Christian worship more acceptable to the senses, more visible, more fancy, more uh, impressive to the eyes of unbelief. 
Christian worship where people think, look at how moved people are at the Coldplay concert. Let's come and bring in those smoke machines, bring in all, everything we can to make people feel good and welcomed and feel like they have an emotional connection. And affections are good. They're in the Bible. The Bible teaches us to worship with our affections. But, but when you go after things that are seen, you're, you're losing sight of the things unseen, of the real reality, of true reality, the way things really are. Such an attitude is compromise, according to Hebrews. Such an attitude where you trade the invisible things for visible things, that's compromise. Such worship is not based on the conviction of things not seen. Just one chapter later in Hebrews chapter 13. If you turn there with me just for a moment. Hebrews, actually, sorry, it's Hebrews 12, the latter part of the chapter. Here's what the author of Hebrews says about Christian worship. What's happening here today and what happens every time a church gathers to worship. He says, verse 22, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's what happens in Christian worship. Invisible things, glorious things, that are not accessible by sight, only accessible by faith. What we're doing today in worship is foolishness to the eyes of unbelief. It's why trying to make Christian worship acceptable to unbelievers, trying to make it as impressive as possible to unbelievers, always ends up being a compromise. Because they, they can't see what's really happening. There's no way, no way they can. You want them to come and to, to have what, what we'll see in a, in a second. God speak light into their hearts so they can see these realities. It's the only way you can grasp them. The, God promises to meet us in simple, ordinary worship. Whether in Jackson, Mississippi, or in Puno, Peru, or Kunming, China, or Moldova, or anywhere else in the world. People speaking different languages in different kinds of buildings, wearing different kinds of clothes, singing different kinds of musical styles. But God promises to meet them there with these invisible things, invisible blessings. God does it in corporate worship. God does it in the Lord's Supper, which we are about to celebrate. He promised to meet with his people, with those who have a conviction of things not seen. And when we talk about the unseen, we're talking about God choosing the foolish things in the eyes of the world to shame the wise. Another way to talk about uh, the conviction of things unseen, uh, not seen in the Bible is to contrast faith, uh, I, I, sorry, to contrast sight with hearing. Right? Paul doesn't say faith comes by sight. In fact, he says the opposite. But faith comes by hearing. And we're coming just back to the same thing we said. Faith comes from the promises of God. If you've ever wondered how come there's so many instances of people in the Bible seeing miracles happen before them. And they walk away like nothing happened. Would, many of them we read, they, they never really believed. How come? I mean, you see a miracle in front of you, right? So some of us maybe here think, if only God would do a miracle in front of me, then I would believe. 
And again, this comes back to where faith comes from. It doesn't come from seeing things. It comes from the Word of God. It comes from the miracle that God does in a wretched, unbelieving heart. Faith that has the conviction of things not seen is the result of a new nature. By nature, we are blind. and Our, our, our sinful hearts just don't have the eyes of faith to see Christ, to treasure Christ, to see the value in what he has done for us. We are rebels and we hate the light. You remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Each one of us needs this new nature. Have you been born again? I'm not asking about your conversion experience or the crisis that you had, whether you remember it or not. But do you see Christ as valuable and as your greatest treasure today, right now? Do you see Christ as your treasure? If not, the message for you is the same as, as, as uh, Jesus told Nicodemus. You need to be born again to have this faith, to have the conviction of things not seen. Faith and, and this new nature are a gift that Christ is happy to give. Just come to him. All you have to do is come to him. And we see an application of these invisible realities in verse 3, where he says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. What does faith do? It understands where the universe comes from. Where did this world come from? From the same place where faith comes from, from the word of God. Faith understands not just scripture differently, not just spiritual truths differently. Faith understands the whole world differently. The, the starting point for your whole life is different. We understand that the world was made by the word of God. And this connection between the way faith acts in salvation and the way faith, faith understands creation is it's actually a very common connection that the Bible makes between creation and salvation just like God spoke the world into existence and none of us were there to see it God speaks faith into existence in the human heart and none of us are there to see it Jesus says you see it its effects but you don't really see the new birth right just like you, you didn't you weren't there when God made the world but by faith you understand that's what God does this, this connection between creation and salvation is very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, where Paul says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God who said that light shine out of darkness at creation does the same miracle in our hearts speaks the same word into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So enduring faith, we saw hopes with assurance, grasps the unseen, lives with things unseen. And finally, in verse 2, we see that enduring faith looks for God's approval. Looks for God's approval. This is the beginning of the hall of faith, right? The heroes of the faith from the Old Testament who have run the race to the end and they made it. They crossed that finish line 
the same way we desire this, this for us and for ourselves and our families and our brothers and sisters. Look at verse 2. It says, The people of old, by faith, received their commendation. He's not talking about commendation from men. Certainly not from unbelievers. He's talking about the approval of God, the commendation of God. The author is talking about the approval and the reward that you get at the end of the race. If you go back to chapter 10, verse 35, the verse we started with, he says, do not throw away your confidence. Why? There's something waiting for you at the end of the race. He says, it has a great reward. A great reward. And he's talking about the approval of God. Some of us in the Christian race today may need to be reminded that the race is worth running. The fight is worth it. The race is worth it. The author of Hebrews looks at this hall of faith and he tells these struggling believers, he says, it's all worth it in the end. It's all worth it in the end. Brothers and sisters, if I can leave you with one thought that you'll remember, it's this. Following Christ is all worth it in the end. It's all going to be worth it. There will be no regrets in heaven. No regrets in heaven. Whatever the world offers, whatever the temptation in your life, whatever pleasure of sin in this life, whatever momentary satisfaction sin offers you, they cannot compare with what Christians who run the race to the end get. Not even close. Not even in the same galaxy to compare. You may remember the words of the famous missionary David Livingstone who suffered a lot and lost a lot in his missionary work. And someone asked him, one of my favorite quotes from a missionary, someone asked him, how are you able to give up so much? How, how, how did you make it through, through everything you lost? I think family members and sickness and disease and just incredibly difficult life, incredibly difficult life. How did you make it to the end? And, and how did you sacrifice so much? And his answer was one sentence. He says, I never sacrificed a thing. He doesn't mean to make light of the, the difficulty in trials, but what he means is, when you put it on the scale, it's not a sacrifice. It's all gain in the end. When you put it on the scale, it's all gain in the end. And you can go and read missionary biographies, dozens of them, hundreds of them, who lost everything they had including their loved ones and even their life and you and you see them saying at the end i do it all over again if i had to i do it all over again it's all worth it in the end brothers and sisters the christian race is worth it and in hebrews 11 uh, 11 particularly if we can step back into the text here the followers of Christ who are tempted to return to that Old Testament system of worship that's accessible to the senses, that seems so much better than what the apostles are preaching. This hall of faith he's about to go into, right? It's full of their heroes. Like if you're, if you're raised as a Jewish believer, uh, or you're just raised in the Old Covenant, you think of these as your heroes. These are your forefathers, your heroes of the faith. And it's as if the author says, Jewish believers... Remember your Old Testament lessons. Remember these Old Testament saints. They didn't walk by sight. And what, what did they get in the end? They get God's approval. When you're deciding between Christian worship and Jewish worship, 
it maybe feels like you're leaving your heroes behind, but in reality, that's not the case, and he proves it, right? He proves that they live by faith. What were the old covenant believers looking forward to? It wasn't a patch of land in the Middle East. It wasn't a temple in Jerusalem. They were looking to the reward of faith in the end. Look at verse 39. At the end of this list, he says, All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. He says, God had provided something better for them, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So all these were commended through their faith in the end. They were looking for God's approval. Again, in verse 16, he says, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What is it that we get in the end as Christians who run the race of faith? We get God Almighty on our side. You get God in the end. That's the, the greatest blessing of the gospel is God himself. And you can see the, the author emphasizing this about old covenant believers. He's saying, you're not the first one to deal with this trouble and difficulty. You're not the first group of believers who've had to overcome the temptations of the world by faith. Others have done it and they got God's approval in the end. Not the approval of men, not the approval of the world, but God's stamp of approval. So if you want to have God's stamp of approval in the end, the encouragement is to run with endurance. That's what enduring faith does. And at many points in our life, each one of us has to choose between the approval of the world and the approval of God. They are not compatible. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You have to choose one or the other. Enduring faith looks to the approval of God. So we've seen enduring faith hopes with assurance Enduring faith grasps the unseen, and enduring faith looks for God's approval. And that's our desire for each other. It's my desire for you. As we say goodbye here in Jackson, it's, uh, I know it's your desire for us as we go overseas. Um, and my God, help us to have that enduring faith that runs to the end faithfully and, and crosses the finish line with God's approval. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are reminded this morning of how weak our faith is and how great the realities that you offer us are. We are reminded of the blessings of Christ, of the one who seated at your right hand, who will come to judge the living and the dead, who will come and bring his kingdom and put all of his enemies under his feet. And we ask that you would increase our faith, Lord. Increase our faith by this encouragement from your word. And help us to be the kind of Christians, the kind of disciples that forsake everything for Christ and see him as more valuable than anything the world offers. We know that you are able to do this, so we ask and we give thanks for your work in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.